It's uh, strange and beautiful to be up here before you for the first time in a very long time. Um, right at the end of a 22-week series in James, um, and literally this is message number 22. So it is uh, with a deep sense of humility and honor and privilege and joy that I stand before you uh, this morning. And as I look out across your beautiful faces, as I look out across all of you, and I know that some of you are joining us online, so I can't see you, but welcome as well. Um, this is our community. And just take a moment to look around, uh, look at each other. I don't know, I can't remember if James told you to give each other a high five fist pump, did you? Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is our community, and um, this is why we meet together, to be in community. Not because we're a group of some special elite, but because we're trying to play in the chaos and beauty of living life together and trying to work out what our faith means in all of that. And it's to us, a community really like this, that James was writing, a book that is about practical spirituality, truth in action. And that's what the last 22 weeks have been about, truth in action, real faith for real life. Um, a book that hasn't needed a lot of philosophizing or theologizing because really the words speak so clearly for themselves. And today, so we get, today we're going to be ending um, the series of James by looking at chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, where James says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wander from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And then James put his pen down. Big, weighty words. And then he put his pen down. So what is really important for us to start to reflect on? And my initial reaction was, well, I get to end the series, which means I get to rehash the last 22 weeks in one condensed short sermon. And Luke said, Laura... Uh, you will stay stuck to your two verses. Uh, so I better follow the brief because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. Um, but the real truth here is very important for us to establish because the whole verse of verse 19 and 20 hinge on this idea of, my dear brothers and sisters, if any among you wonder from the truth, so what is James speaking about when he says wandering from the truth? We need to know what he is speaking about. And we've been learning about what this truth is actually for the last 22 weeks. So we'll know that in James, the truth is not about an intellectual exercise. As my friend's New Testament theologian and scholar Rob Stegman says, the truth in the New Testament is, uh, the truth in James is about truth in action played out in community. It is not an exercise. 
that is about the cognitive assent to theological ideas about God. It is about truth in action. And we've sat under these words for the last 22, uh, 22 weeks. And we've sat under the same ancestry as those who have come before us. And we've asked ourselves, how do we work out this truth within the context of community? How do we work out our salvation, the truth of our salvation, playing in the mud and muck of our social interactions in a fractured, irritable, and quarrelsome world where we are so often more orientated towards ourselves than we are towards each other. James knew, given the times that he was writing in, you will not survive if you are going to be self-orientated. You need community. James wrote his epistle to address as his central concern how we treat each other within community because he knew that it was in community that we find our true belonging. It is in community that we work out the truth of our salvation. So if you cast your mind back on all of the weeks that we've spoken about James over the four mini-series that we've done, the truth has been reiterated again and again. It is not about anything, but about what it means to live in personal excellence in community, candor of mind in community, living free from affectation, pretense, simulation, falsehood, or deceit in community. Truth for James was about living authentically, with sincerity, with integrity of character. It was a mode of being that was in harmony with God and that was also orientated towards truth played out in action in community. And he said, when we live this way, the way of the truth, this path is the path that leads to the renewal of those who not only read the words, but walk in them. So this is the truth that James is saying as a reminder, we must not wander from this truth, this truth as a way of life in community. And then he put his pen down because he had said it all. My dear friends, the message paraphrases, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And in so doing, you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and you will prevent an epidemic of wandering from God. An epidemic of wandering. Now that's going to tear community living apart. We all know what the COVID pandemic did to us in terms of tearing us apart as community and the ripple effect it had on us when it tore us apart as community 
and the sense of isolation and loneliness we felt for so many weeks when we were locked up in our homes, unable to connect as community. You see, we have to prevent a pandemic or an epidemic of wandering away from each other because truth is in action within the context of community. And James says, my brothers and sisters, if any of you wonders from the truth. Now, I just want to stop here because I said to you that I am quoting Rob Stegman, who is a New Testament scholar and theologian. I also have the privilege of working with Dr. Rob Stegman. And him and I grappled with what do these two verses mean? And he said to me, you know, Laura, actually the word if is slightly mistranslated. If you look at the Greek words, it actually should have been more aptly translated as when you wonder from the truth and you will. So James is saying, my brothers and sisters, if, when, if one of you wonders from the truth, when one of you wonders from the truth and you will, then go out and rescue each other. You see, none of us are immune to wondering. And I, can know, I know this for sure because right at the outset of James, in James 1, James says in, ver, um, in verse 13 to 16, when you are tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. For each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, any of you who write will know that to write a book this short doesn't take a long time. So there's no way James changed his position from chapter 1 to chapter 5. In chapter 1, he said, when you are tempted... And now in chapter 5, he's saying, if any of you wonders. No, when you wonder and you will, then there's a response that's required. He's not saying, if some of you over here who will never wonder, find yourselves looking out over there to those who are wondering, then you who never wonder should go over here and get those who wonder. He's putting us all together. He says there's, a, there's this inherent kind of thing in us that causes wondering. And right from the outset of James, he was, he was warning us that we live out our messy, mucky lives together in community, battling the pandemic of wondering. And I know this to be true. And my guess is that you also know this to be true. I know that in my life, I've observed my habitual repetitive tendencies to be pulled towards a specific kind of wondering. And no matter how hard I try not to go down that road, I find myself drawn down that road over and over and over again. And what is the effect of being drawn down the road of wondering? It isolates you from community. 
And so you need to be pulled back in in order to be drawn back into community because James was calling us to community living, a living in which we could rely on each other so that we could work out our true salvation together. As teenagers, my crazy brother and sister decided to launch themselves into a bloated river in the middle of winter. The river, uh, some of you may know it, starts at the top of Silvermine on Okarpsevach and eventually spits its way out into the Clavelli Ocean. They decided this would be the ride of a lifetime. So with boogie board in hand, they launched themselves into this very bloated, dangerous river in the middle of winter and the river was pumping. And little did they know how wildly dangerous this ride was about to get. And by the time my brother Kat caught on to the idea that they were literally about to kill themselves, and the faster and faster the river got, and the more and more furious it became, my brother managed to grab on to some reeds on the side of the riverbeds and actually stop himself. And then as he, my sister came surging past him, he grabbed onto her foot, breaking a few toes in the process. This is the power of the river that we are in. The river that is God's love that we live and exist in in community is a wildly furious river. Now, what they didn't know, because my brother rescued them, and they were spat out eventually on Clavelli Golf Course, where they eventually had to hobble home, and it was a very sorry uh, picture when they got home, because, you know, there was no, well, as if they'd have a cell phone after that anyway. But anyway, God's life, living God's life together is not about the some like cushy little ride in a tiny trickling stream. It's a powerful rushing river that we have to survive together in community. But the reality is that that river actually surges through concrete pipes eventually that prevent the flow of the force of the river from really destroying Clavelli Beach. Now, the river's changed slightly since then. But the surge of the force is curtailed by channeling the river through these concrete pipes. And if my brother had not grabbed onto my sister, she would have got sucked into one of those concrete pipes and probably been killed. Because there's no way at that speed and pace that you can survive getting sucked into one of these concrete pipes. Now, the, the, the reality is we live in the ocean of God's goodness, but we also live in a messy, mucky world. So we are living in a community and we are moving downstream in a rapidly furious uncontainable, unfathomable river of God's love. But within 
the constraints that exist within this world that we find ourselves in before we get eventually spat out into the eternal, mysterious unfolding of God's love that goes on and on and on and on forever and ever that John tries to describe for us in the book of Revelation. Before that, we have to face trials and temptations of many kinds. And these concrete pipes are like the trials and temptations that we face. And depending on our natural inclinations, our upbringings, our personalities, our predispositions, we tend to get sucked into very particular ways of trials and temptations or very particular styles of wondering. So, all of us are prone to wondering, okay? And all of us are prone to specific kinds of wondering. Now, it doesn't all look exactly the same, but we can actually pick up patterns, global universal patterns, that show us the kinds of wondering that humans tend to get pulled into for whatever reason. And these pulls away from the main river actually serve one purpose, and that is to destroy us from maximally entering into the sea of God's eternal goodness. And we need to understand this pull towards the natural kind of urges or wonderings that we have so that as a community, we can save each other and we can move downstream together because as a collective, we are able to withstand so much more than we are able to withstand if we are isolated. So I'm going to describe some of the natural wonderings, and there's nine, and I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. So there's nine natural wonderings, and I'm going to describe them to you because I think that it's important that when we recognize these repetitive patterns of wondering in our own lives and in the lives of others, we can have each other's back more adequately. We're more adequately equipped to live in greater wholeness, greater integration, and fuller orientation with God, to God and with each other as a community. And ultimately, faith in action is about knowing each other and where our natural vulnerabilities lie. For some of us, our natural orientation to the world is for the world to be principled, ordered, organized, and meticulous. And everything needs to be as it should be. And generally, there's a set of standards against which things are measured. And when things don't add up, there's this almost anger that people live with. And that anger is infuriating and can often lead to people measuring everything up against these standards that they have and no one actually measures up. And that causes a drift away from community, which corrodes not only the person, but corrodes the community itself. Because the community is a poorer one because that person has left it. So this posture of anger, if you push your fists together, it's actually painful to live with. And it keeps others out. 
because you are the meticulous judge. And James actually speaks gently into this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show works in the meekness of wisdom. Be peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy. Can you see how he takes it and just makes it practical? Practically, just don't live an angry life because it's going to make you wonder. For some, in a desperate attempt always to be liked, to be loved, to be, care, to be liked and loved, they live their lives in acts of service of others' needs. And this actually can become a bit of a blind spot. Because if I'm always serving others' needs, often what happens is you take up a position where you don't want to acknowledge that you yourself have needs. And I can tell you for myself, and I'm not going to be able to get into the story, but this has been my own struggle. Wanting to always be there for everyone else, but not admitting the rotten, messy muck of my own heart that has left me often in isolation, loneliness, and sometimes depression. And particularly during COVID, when actually you couldn't reach out and meet people's needs because you were totally isolated, I was lost at sea. And I just ended up on autopilot existence, trying to keep up with the struggles of who am I if I'm not able to be there for everyone else all of the time? And it left me in a dark place. And it, so it is with humility that I come to you this morning. But this kind of prideful stance in the world, like, you know, you actually set yourself up to be God. You know, because if everyone else has got needs, but I don't have needs, then who am I? So you're trying to be humble, but in actual fact, you're doing the very opposite. And you isolate yourself from community. And James calls us to resist pride. For some, there's a current towards appearing and needing to be successful and win. There's winners and there's losers, and I'm going to be a winner in the world. And for this kind of person, it's all about appearance. And it's not a bad thing. None of these things are bad things. They just have a tendency to cause us to wander from community because often we just cannot keep up the appearance. And so what becomes of this person is inauthentic because you don't want to admit that you're struggling. There's a pride there, this posture of pride, like I've got it all together and I'm successful. And of course, I end up often lying in big or small ways because heaven forbid anyone thinks I'm a loser. And this plays itself out either inwardly or outwardly. But it's a natural pull. You can't help it. It's like you just feel this urge to it. But what it is is it's a concrete pipe that if you suck through, destroys and corrodes your efficacy and your ability to connect into community. And James speaks to these people saying, don't be deceived. Remember, every good and perfect gift is from above. You didn't create anything for yourself. Every good and perfect gift is from above. For some, the natural pull is towards their desire to be authentic and uniquely me. And of course, 
in this quest for authenticity and uniqueness, there's this actual feeling that I'm a bit out of step with the world. I want to be out of step with the world, but at the same time, I like, why does everything have to be so difficult for me? So I want to belong, but actually, I don't really want to belong to any club that will even have me. So there's like a feeling that there's something lacking in me. And this is a person that often gets themselves stuck in suffering. And it's often silent suffering. There's the place that I just, I just, within my heart, why do I feel like I don't belong? Why do I feel like something is lacking what that everyone else seems to have? And this pull, again, results in isolation. It corrodes community. And James is saying, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love yourself. There's nothing fundamentally flawed or wrong about you. Love yourself. For some, the current pulls them to their heads where they become expert observers of the world. They live in their heads. They can't snap out of their heads in an attempt to, uh, to avoid the sea of messiness and overwhelm that is the world that they live in. They need to maintain energy and resources and boundaries. And this is the person really that is, I think, therefore I am. And this living in your head, you know, those of you who are in relationships, friendships, uh, spouse, marriage, whatever it might be, collegial relationships, you'll know that if you're this kind of person because people will be like, I'm not a mind reader. Can you tell me what you're thinking? There's this tendency to get stuck here. And the head is a heavy, heavy place. And you need to be liberated from it. You know, James says, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. So there's this current, again, when you're living in your head, you cannot effectively be in community. You cannot effectively serve community because you're protecting yourself. It's a greed of the mind, a desire to protect the head. For some, there's this natural pull towards fear and skepticism, checking, scanning the environment, looking for certainty, looking for predictability, looking to belong, preparing for every single bad thing. I think Warren Buffett said, don't stop to smell the roses because the truck will certainly knock you over. It's that kind of like, you know, oh, a living, like fear. And James again speaks to this kind of person. He says, don't live in this fearful kind of way. Don't be fearful. Don't live with doubt. Like, you, you then become like the sea that is tossed around by the wind. For some, the pull is towards this positive, idealistic, dreaming type of world where too much of a good thing is a good thing. These, these are the adventurers of the world. It's fantastic. It's awesome. If it's new, I'm in. If it's an adventure, I'm in. If it's the same, if it's boring, if it's repetitive, if it's, the, if it's sameness, ugh. You know, I mean, life can get pretty boring and mundane. Community can get boring and mundane. So you find yourself hopping around. It corrodes community. 
And James is saying, if you see a brother or sister wandering down this current being pulled away with this pandemic of wandering, go and bring them back in because the community will be restored when you do that. For some, the world is a doggy dog world and I need to be strong and powerful. Only the strongest survive and I'm going to be the strongest. And don't dare question me. And in an effort to be powerful and in control, they're often very difficult to be around. I want more. I want more power and more control. When things aren't working the way they should be, I'll take over. Because clearly there's no one in charge of this agenda. And this again just ends up corroding community. It takes us out of the mainstream of the thrust of what James is speaking about throughout the book of James when he says, faith is the truth lived out in action in the context of community. And then finally, for some, there's a pull to inaction in that the world is just such a big place and I want to create harmony and balance. I want to avoid conflict. I want to avoid disruption. And so there's this stance of like, oh, can this, this whole thing just balance out? And you know, it's actually very difficult to take a step forward from this position. And so this inaction actually is exactly what James speaks about in James 1.22 when he says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So none of us are immune to these wanderings. And, and if you just put up the next slide, if you take a couple of minutes to look at the slide, these are the currents or the concrete pipes that exist in the river that we can only navigate if we stay in community. Because if you're a big group flowing together downstream and you get to these concrete pipes, you can navigate them together. But when someone gets sucked down one of them on their own, they literally, it leads to death. And you've got to rescue them. And in so doing, you actually rescue not only them, but you rescue the community because there is a community effect. Because James wrote this entire book about community. It's a communal salvation. If my brother had not saved my sister, she would have died or been severely injured. Either which way, our community, our family, would have been morbidly impacted by the effects of it. So in him rescuing her, it covered not only her, but it also covered our entire family. That is what James is calling us to. So take a few minutes. Do these, do, do these speak to you in any way? Because these are often the very things that actually cause within us the deepest triggers for shame. And shame is the deep feeling that we are unworthy or unlovable 
And shame derives its power from being unspeakable. And ignored and avoided, it in and of itself becomes a silent epidemic that spreads fear and isolation and encourages negative behavior and thinking and leads us away from community. So, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and you will, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's like Luke 15, the parable of the shepherd that went out and found the lost sheep and carried him home rejoicing. And then straight after that, Jesus tells the parable of the woman who lost the coin. And she searched everywhere and found the coin and came home rejoicing. And then straight after that, Jesus tells the parable about the prodigal son. And when the son was far off in the distance, the father started running towards him with his arms open wide. And he said, my son, my son, you have returned. It's lostness. It's foundness and it's rejoicing. It's what Jesus did for us when he gave up everything to come and rescue us. So there is some ambiguity in these words. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. But what we know from James is that it's connected to faith in action and community. So we can assume that it's a communal celebration. It's a communal salvation. So there's a call to action as a community. Because Jesus calls us to live in community. And James called us to live in community. And then he took the most extreme example of how people stray from community and said, bring them back in. And then he put his pen down. Was it? So there's a call to action that has a real pastoral note with positive reconciliatory repercussions for us. So I want you to stand up. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to, to take a brave move here. There's something connected into why I put these pictures up. And for those of you who've got a bit of a uh, spiritual formation background, you'll know that these body postures and what I've spoken about are connected into theories and um, There's a lot of neuroscience and neuropsychology and theology that goes behind it. But our bodies are often telling our brains what to feel and think. And so often when we embody something and then we release ourselves from it, there is literally a a, a release. And so the call is... And it's a bold one, and you, you can do it, and I would challenge you to take up the position. Where, where do you wonder? You know, we as a community need to have each other's back. We need to know where each other's vulnerabilities lie. 
need to know how to bring each other back, how to watch out for each other. So, you know, I've told you that for me it's been pride. For you it might be something else, suffering, anger. You can take it up, suffering, anger. There's pain in all of these things. There's the pain of disconnection and shame. There's the pain of hurt and brokenness. And James is reminding us throughout this book, you're a community called to live and work out your faith and your salvation together. So as you either take up the position or just visualize it, when I say visualize, I just mean think about it. It's not anything weird. You can just come out of it and hold your arms up to Jesus. Remember James in 1, James 1 verse 12 said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, these are the trials we face in our lives. They're the concrete pipes in the river of life and the messiness of living life and moving downstream even though we're living in God's furious, unfathomable love and grace. We still gotta work out what it means to be human in all of that. And His love is pretty powerful. I think I've said it before from up here, but one of my favorite authors said I could more easily comprehend containing Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. So you are in a wild and torrential river and you face wild and torrential challenges and trials. Remember that James said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Just let Jesus minister to you right now. be a a profound release of your spirit on our lives and that these natural urges and wanderings that we so often experience that disconnect and detach us from community, that cause us shame and isolation, fear and depression, would be things that we can speak about to each other, that we can have each other's back. God, we know that you called us to walk in community. We know that you called us to work out our salvation within the context of community. 
we know that when we are saved, it's like a powerful fire that's lit within us. And when we work out our salvation, that fire glows brighter and brighter. And those around us are warmed. You can't stand near a fire and not be warmed. So the transformative effect of God's fire in your life warms those around you. So everything about your work in our lives has an impact on those that we do life with. So let's look out for each other. prevent an epidemic of wondering. Let's rescue each other. Let's acknowledge that we are precious lives to you. Whether we feel like we're in a state of grace or disgrace, sorrow or joy, depression or elation, you are our God and you love us. Pray that we would know that love and that sense of belonging played out as we live in the truth, as we live out our salvation in the context of community. 